Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Nerds. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to level up your financial game? Let NerdWallet guide you with smart strategies for lasting success. Get savvy tax planning pointers to maximize your savings, money-saving travel tips for your next family getaway, and investing insights like how a 529 plan can help you send your kids to college. Unlock the key to saving to help you earn more money. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you in 2024. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com. And Overnight America continues. It's always nice to get in, kind of hang out with you for a little bit. And when you get a chance to talk Bigfoot, you take that opportunity. Later this hour, non-Bigfoot Talk will be joined with Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer, a senior fellow and president of the London Center for Policy Research. He's an author, and he's also someone that talks about whistleblowing, media, relations between them and the government, things like that. It's an interesting thought because when I originally called him, because we recorded the interview earlier, he double booked because there was another interview coming in from Japan where he spent what would have been the equivalent of an hour with uh, Japan's PBS station. So we spoke after that and I asked, you know, what does Japan's interest, what are the things they want to know about the United States? So that's part of the conversation too. A couple of headlines, and there's one headline in particular that I love. It's called Mayor Footloose announces dancing loud music is banned in downtown St. Charles. Mayor Footloose. That is so funny. I've never seen Footloose, but I know the reference. I get it. St. Uh, Charles Mayor uh, drops the hammer on the loud music. Uh, Dan Borgmeyer says that he sent letters to liquor license holders Monday warning this enforcement begins immediately. No nightclubs uh, along the stretch of business, but loud music and dancing uh, has to be led to route in the past has led to rowdy crowds. I should say we know that a couple of different areas that downtown area of St. Charles, one side's good. The other side's bad. There's been fights. There's been shootings. So he says, I guess the way to do it is just try to get rid of the things that the shenanigans, the, the, the elements of shenanigans. So the ban applies to businesses with liquor licenses in the 100 to 300 blocks of North main street. He hopes that the businesses will cooperate. The Mayor Footloose. What a great title for that, honestly. And here's one other story online at KMOX.com. says, it appears St. Louis has lost its funding for crime-fighting spy planes. That's kind of a point that was a tough vote. I mean, it went 15 to 14 vote by the Board of Aldermen, just barely having enough to get through because there was a big concern about violations when it comes to privacy, things like that. How are these going to be used? How is the data going to be saved? what kind of uh, evidence would be, you know, all kinds of things. Are we just always going to have a literal uh, big brother in the sky looking over you? Well, it doesn't matter now. There was a company that was willing to give it to us, allow it 
to test in St. Louis to show that the concept works. And then we turn around and they say, well, it appears not so much. After 11 months of implementation, evaluation, and preliminary research, said we have decided against further investments in the program at this time. So either it doesn't work or it's not worth it or people don't want to spend the money. Uh, could be either or. It could be a lot of these different things, but they're just saying no thanks. So St. Louis is like, okay, no eye in the sky. Too bad. See you later, which actually is probably not the worst thing in the world. It's a weird thing. We got to do other things. I mean, if there were people that said we want to help you with your violent crimes and your homicides because you, you obviously don't have it under control and we're willing to pay for it to try to help improve it. I think we're, you know, we, beggars can't be choosers. I don't think we have the opportunity to turn things around on our own so we can use all the help we can get. So that's why things like this might be appealing, because when you're desperate, things like that look appealing. But all things considered, do you really want that sort of thing there? So that story also at KMOX.com. Now it's uh, off the table. I guess you're not going to see the spies in the skies. Let's go to Terry, who's calling in. Welcome, Overnight America. Well, hello. Hi, Terry. <laughs> hey, how are you? Good. Very good. So you, you are, you're, you're, um, I listen to you uh, every single night. Um, Great. <laughs> I don't know that I always believe in your beliefs and, and it doesn't matter. We don't, it's just, we can agree to disagree, but, but you're talking about, you're, 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 um, you just, you're talking about Chewbacca and Bigfoot <laughs> and you're talking about things that, I mean, oh, and this is the best one, the best thing. Mm-hmm. The dancing in the streets. I mean, yeah. really? Mayor Footloose. <laughs> These are great topics. In fact, these are topics that I think we all need right about now. Well, the Bigfoot topic was because in Oklahoma, they're proposing Bigfoot hunting season. So you have deer hunting season, you have duck season, you have all kinds of different hunting seasons. Uh, But why not open up a Bigfoot hunting season? And that reminded me of the time our sister station, Dave Glover, saw Bigfoot. So, yes, I was going to take an opportunity to bring him on to discuss that. No, 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 no. It, it, well, no, that was actually a, a refreshing. It was it was kind of something that I didn't expect from you. But it was it was uh, I you, you had me hooked. Hello. <laughs> Do you believe in Bigfoot? What's that? Do you believe in Bigfoot? Um, I believe I believe in, in many things. I, 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 maybe I, maybe I do. I mean, can I, can I say that, that he didn't exist I, or he or she, whatever it is, mm-hmm. some big gorilla. Who are we to deny the existence of Bigfoot? <laughs> we are nearly mortals living in Bigfoot's world who allows us to go about could be another way to look at it. What if they feel like they're actually in control of everything and they just uh, allow us to do our thing and one day the Bigfoot will take over? This sounds like a great movie, actually. Uh, Terry, thank you very much for your call. Good to hear from you. But I, I say that there was one movie I saw, and this happened to be one of the strangest yet unique ideas, and it wasn't a great movie. It was just a great idea. The movie title is The Man Who Killed Hitler and Then the Bigfoot. The plot of this movie is what was his name sam elliott so going back to world war ii just as the title of the movie says he was the man who killed hitler (laughs) and then later now he's in his golden years and 
there's this um, beast that's running through Canada that they cannot stop. And they only know one person that could track and kill a beast kind of like the man, the only one that was possible to kill the Hitler. So they enlist him and he says, sure. So he goes up and he has to hunt the Bigfoot before it takes over. So apparently this book, Bigfoot was spreading disease and it was killing wildlife and people. And they said it was only a matter of time before he just ravaged full cities and things. So they had to stop it ahead of time. So that's the entire plot of the movie. The man who killed Hitler and then the Bigfoot, the beginning, the middle, the end, all covered in the title. <laughs> but it's just such a wild thing. That's probably the last Bigfoot thing I've seen. I'm not someone that goes out and studies it like Dave Glover, but it was just fun to talk about it for a little bit. And I know everyone has their own opinions on those things. When we come back, actually, I wanted to bring up a guest. His name is Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer. He's a senior fellow and president of the London Center for Policy Research. He's an author, and we're going to talk about whistleblowing, things like that, how it relates to the government, information that comes out that may be reliable, unreliable, how journalism works with that, all of which is coming up after the break on Overnight America KMOX. Listening to KMOX has never been easier. Siri, play KMOX. Joining us now is a senior fellow and president of the London Center for Policy Research, also the author of Operation Dark Heart, Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer. Thank you for coming on to KMOX. Hey, thanks for having me. Great to be on. When I look at your book online, it came out about 10 years ago, but this is the only time I've ever seen this on Amazon. It says, based on Department of Defense security concerns, sections of Operation Dark Heart have been redacted in the published edition. I've never seen that uh, advisory ever on a book. I know, wasn't it? It wasn't it great marketing. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> no, they they turned it into a bestseller, and uh, we won our First Amendment lawsuit. Uh, we sued him and actually won. So yeah, it's uh, it, it, boy. I I, uh, I was on with Don Lemon uh, on CNN back when the book came out, and he asked me the question. He said, uh, "Well, how do you feel about Department of Defense, the D- the director of DIA coming after your book?" And I said, "Well." Uh, I wish I could send him roses. <laughs> he, he couldn't have given me better advertising than going after it. It was great. Yeah, no so, kidding. Yeah. Has much changed in the intelligence world since then? Because a lot of what you've seen in the way government interacts and the way that government works behind the scenes, it has, has much yeah. changed there? So I, I do uh, still have a lot of work I do with the intelligence community, uh, not in my bio, but it's available out there. Is I work uh, as a Homeland Security Advisor to one of the sheriffs in Virginia, here in Northern Virginia, uh, Sheriff Dave Decatur down in Stafford County. So therefore, is his representative on all these issues. I still deal with uh, NYPD, uh, Pentagon. I'm literally just going through some of my reporting right now that I review every day. And so the answer is, a lot of the problems that we faced back in 9-11 uh, that we saw mid-decade, you know, mid-2010, uh, 2012, they still exist. Uh, so much of the problem is uh, the bureaucracy. The bureaucracy tends to hoard information, and uh, different individuals within those directorates tends to use it for leverage. Mm-hmm. And this is a very dangerous thing. And then it leaves it open for abuse. So the Carter Page issue, for example. I know Carter. I'm very familiar with the FISA process, having been someone who had to be engaged in operations like that. I actually had to go to the White House um, twice back in uh, 2000 uh, to, to brief specific operations which were going way off 
the policy mark potentially. Mm-hmm. So the White House had to be great. So I see a lot of the same problems now as I did then. Um, and I think it's something that we as Americans should always demand uh, good oversight and good accountability for those folks involved in it. Yeah, just recently I saw a report that came out, and I can't remember the publication, but it was um, apparently when President Trump was leaving the office and some of the documents he decided to declassify, some of which had to go back into 2014 with the FBI and the way that they're handling the FISA process. Some people were saying that inside, internally, there were people raising red flags all the way up to James Comey, who was essentially ignoring it. Uh, There was some issues between foreign entities and the Clinton campaign and the way the information was disseminated, things like that. So we're starting to even see, going back uh, before the 2016 campaign and some of these problems that we're seeing in agencies like the FBI. And it goes to show you a lot of this information is either suppressed or not allowed to get out there until a whistleblower comes forward. And then all of a sudden, people are upset at the whistleblower for trying to go out and disclose some of these things that should have been disclosed. Well, speaking as a whistleblower, yeah, I, I do. I do believe that that's often the case. Um, uh, regarding what I had to testify and others I've seen had to testify, often the issue becomes the, the, the individual rather than what they're trying to say. And... Um, this is the sad part of it that uh, so often, you know, and look, one can argue about um, uh, some of the bigger name whistleblowers. Why did they do what they did? You know, there was Snowden, there's uh, Assange, there's others. And, you know, I, I believe that most people do try to, if they see something wrong in these positions, a lot of folks will try to do something to fix it. And when it fails, they have to ratchet it up. And in my case, you know, I was basically asked by the Speaker of the House, Danny Hastert, to go public. And, uh, you know, I defend my actions vigorously by the fact that uh, we had a whistleblower. There, there's, a, there's an interesting thing. Another whistleblower came forward uh, in, uh, in 2017, and he confirmed that, yes, uh, we confirmed what you had to say. But we were directed to basically go after you. And this is the investigator who, who came out and said this. So I think that's one of the dangers of the system is that, well, I think there are good people who try to come forward and get, get information out regarding wrongdoing. The system is set up that uh, so that uh, the system itself becomes your enemy and they'll go after you very hard. So. Yeah, and talking about whistleblowers, and this was something that was brought up before, but I don't remember seeing if this was confirmed or not, but if we go back into 2016 and the election and moving forward, and we saw a lot of members of the media citing anonymous sources, whistleblowers and such within the organizations that were saying, okay, they're going to they're going to get Donald Trump. And, you know, there is a connection with Russia. And but we later find out with the Mueller report and things that came out, none of that was really true. A lot of times information was apparently leaked to the media in a way to further keep the narrative going and further involvement um, to further along something that wasn't true. Some people even speculated it was Adam Schiff that was dropping this information because he was going on national television and saying things that were completely untrue because he, he said, oh, he's going to be in bars. The things I've seen, he's going to go to jail. And none of these things, material, came out. And we find in retrospect, right. a lot of times the media has played. So sometimes you can get a credible source. I'm sure the media, if they're getting a, uh, anonymous uh, tips or whatever, they're like, yeah, sure. But when Adam Schiff comes to them, they take it seriously and later find out they've been played. So the, the, the intelligence and also the whistleblowing, things like that, it's, it's tough because sometimes you can get false information being injected. I, I would argue, I agree with you completely, and I would argue that the, one of the reasons that the media ran with those false narratives is because the level they were coming from, um, 
I had good sources still. And one of the sources was telling me that, yeah, they were they were lapped stuff up because Jim Clapper himself was telling him it. Uh, you know, so if you if you're a reporter and you have a Jim Clapper or James Comey come and whisper in your ear, you tend to basically break down uh, on your own ethics and don't get a second or third source. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, I deal with a lot of members of the media and um, uh, people who follow me probably can kind of see my fingerprints on things at times because I'll try to make sure that things are get, get out to the American public. But um, yeah, the, the reporters I work with uh, actually, well, they'll take what I have to say, but you know, they're going to try to get a second or third source, which I respect. It's like, yeah, you should do that. Don't, don't, don't take what I say at face value, actually do the, do the due diligence and do the right thing. The, the, the media didn't do that during the Russian collusion narrative. And I find that fascinating that, uh, so many, so many members, uh, of the media basically refuse to do their job. And I think that's very frightening. And I see it echoed to this day where, uh, some of the media will tend to take a side and report on something and, and use anonymous sources if it helps score political points for a certain point of view they support. And I, that's it's a very frightening thing. Yeah. And also, I tend to believe a lot of times with those that are inside of the media or some of the people that are making these editorial decisions of what gets on, what doesn't. I, I feel like during the yeah. Trump administration, they were hungry for things like that. So they may have... Yeah, lowered their standards for things that they would normally have reported on. But now we're in a different administration and you can I can see a night and day difference in the way they, they treat the administration. Yeah. So they almost swing the other way, as in even if there were someone that were to, to come to them and say, here, this is what we found. I don't know how many of them would actually take it seriously. They probably hire the bar for things that they would report on now because it doesn't match up with it doesn't match up with the, the same editorials that they would normally put out on. Well, I see that already with the Hunter Biden thing. I mean, the Hunter Biden thing is a, a perfect uh, microcosm of what you're talking about, because I knew before the look, um, I, I know the people involved in that. Uh, the, I've, I've talked to JP, the computer tech, uh, his his uh, uncle who brought it to the FBI, Colonel Ron Scott. He's a colleague of mine. We, we worked uh, uh, on black operations projects about 10 years ago. So these things are like aren't some obtuse some concept in the media, I know these things firsthand because of the people I work with and know. And that whole thing, uh, the Biden laptop was in, uh, was symbolic of that issue. Uh, no, there, there was credible information about uh, Hunter being involved in huge payments. Some of those do link uh, to Joe Biden. And yet there was an active uh, uh, suppression of that to include even William Barr, uh, Bill Barr, who refused to accept, to talk about the fact that Hunter Biden was indeed under investigation? Uh, those all those all tell me that there was a uh, a preconceived uh, organized effort to suppress information that I think was pertinent for anybody uh, considering who they're going to vote for in the 2020 election. And again, it goes back to the idea that the media. Uh, will take a side. And I don't think it's appropriate. I think if you're going to report, you have to report on both sides. And uh, if you don't, then you're, you're not really a reporter. You're, you're, a, you're a pundit or a partisan. Right. And we do see that a lot. And, you know, at least from my own experiences, when I look at some of the cable news networks, I don't have a problem when someone is 
giving commentary. That's, uh, you know, people right. have political commentary. That's not an issue. But then you see networks and, uh, you know, I'll single out CNN in this case. So when you have the, the nightly shows, which I see as commentary, but they're calling themselves news anchors. So they're, they're kind right. of almost like hiding the fact and injecting it in there. But I, I, that's the thing. I don't know if they really believe that they are holding up any sort of journalistic bar when they report on these things, when they're obviously giving commentary, and it gets just further muddy. The, the, the whole idea of news being reported and the things that people are consuming, like CNN's website, for example, I yeah. think they're the most trafficked news website, period, and it's by far. And people look at that and say, okay, I can read an article, and I can understand that the whoever wrote this article did it good, right? They, you know, they normally do a good job on the website. Then you watch TV thinking you're getting that same sort of journalism, but it's not, but they're branding it as it. So they're mixing the two together. And to me, it further damages their credibility. It does. And um, to that point, you might laugh at this. I know Jim Acosta. I met Jim uh, coming back one Thanksgiving uh, on a train from New York to Washington. And Jim in person is a, is a really nice guy. As a matter of fact, there was an incident where someone was being unruly. He stepped in and, and I've told the story to other folks, but I don't know what Jim's going to do now without president Trump <laughs> to be his foil. I'm serious. You know, and I would say this, I would, you know, Jim and I follow each other on Twitter and uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good natured about uh, Jim and I call him out sometimes publicly, but what are they going to do now? I mean, because they, they, their, their whole business model to your point was essentially trying to create the drama that Trump helped them generate, no doubt. Trump helped them generate it. But what are they going to do now? Uh, it's going to be interesting how the media uh, is going to try to survive since they're not going to have some dramatic uh, person they can go to every day who they know is going to say something outlandish that they can kind of report on. And I, I, unfortunately, I don't think it's going to return to uh, – I don't think the equilibrium, equilibrium is going to return the industry to a, a sense of fairness. I think they're just going to go look for more drama. Very much part of the intelligence community for many years now. Retired Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer is a senior fellow and president of the London Center for Policy Research. We're going to continue our conversation with him right after the break. This is Overnight America, KMOX. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale with Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there.
there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. Nerds! Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Sometimes you need a change of pace. That includes your finances. Get smart with your budgeting with financial tips straight from the nerds. NerdWallet's trusted experts will set future you up for success by untangling today's web of financial misinformation. Learn about smart investing strategies, tax planning pointers, and travel tips to save on a fun family getaway. Maybe somewhere tropical? Spring ahead for smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. News Radio 1120, KMOX, the voice of the Cardinals. Welcome back to Overnight America. I'm your host, Ryan Recker. On Facebook, you can find this and many of the other things we do. Just do a quick look up for Ryan Recker Radio. Joining us now, Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer, now retired, also a senior fellow and president of the London Center for Policy Research. Right before our interview, you were telling me that you did an hour with Japan and their equivalent of the PBS. So they were talking a lot about what's going on here in America. I'm always amazed by the amount of interest foreign people have of our politics. You know, we we are very much domestic when we pay attention to our news. We rarely pay attention to the ins and outs of politics and politicians of foreign countries, maybe to an exception of what goes on in Canada or something. But outside of that, I'm kind of curious. When you talk to Japan's media and they ask you questions, what are the things they're interested in about what's going on in America? Well, uh, and notably, of course, you know, Canada's like our attic. So who, who's not concerned <laughs> about what happens in your attic when you hear noises up there? It's like, what the heck's going on? But uh, sorry, I couldn't resist that. But uh, but yeah, look, uh, the Japanese were very polite and they had an hour of questions about everything regarding President Trump, what's his future, what do you think of his policies, what are his biggest accomplishments, Uh, what do you think will happen to the Trump followers, Uh, what do you make of President Biden's first week in office. They were very detailed, and this woman was very polite, but I mean, they kept me for an hour, a full hour, uh, on these questions. And um, it was very interesting because she, she was very prepared. This wasn't like uh, Alex Jones, and I'm speaking, you know, kind of, you know, Alex tends to wander all over the place, and I've been on with <laughs> Alex before. Uh, it's not like an Alex Jones interview where kind of whatever comes to mind, he asks it. She was very prepared. She was very detailed and uh, asked some really good conscientious questions. And um, she she said that, uh, believe it or not, the, the, the Japanese people are very curious about uh, the landscape here. And I'm not, I didn't really ask her, I probably should have, it's like, why? But I do, I do, I did uh, get a sense that this was, uh, I mean, they went out of their way to set this interview with me. They pursued me. Uh, We had to go back and forth and uh, get it set up, but they really um, were very, very curious. And not in like uh, a BBC way, because I do BBC too, and it's like all about gotcha on BBC. They'll let you talk, but they, they come after you. So it's very interesting. It was, it was very much the, the detailed BBC type questions I get all the time, but with a sense of politeness and interest that they really wanted to hear what I had to say. So it was, it was, a, very, it was a very interesting dynamic. Yeah, BBC is kind of like when you're playing Uno with your kids and you save that plus four card for the end. <laughs> That's the BBC interview. They wait and give you that plus four right when you're 
least expecting it. Um, and I'm also yeah. curious, maybe some of the, the ways that we conduct ourselves with interviews, um, we can look around the world and realize that there's a lot of things that go on in other countries that relate in a way to us and the things that we're experiencing here. There's some universal problems that every country is experiencing that for some reason we will brush over for a lot of times gossip, gossip, political gossip here in the United States, which is kind of sad. So, uh, look, I grew up in Lisbon, Portugal in the uh, in the 70s. And so I've always been a big believer in understanding kind of the, the direction of things globally. And unfortunately, our media is not set up to do that. Um, I, I find it fascinating that it, some of the best news, you may laugh at me for this, some of the best news I see, uh, because it does kind of go past our borders, is the Daily Mail. The Daily mm-hmm. Mail is very sensational at times. I mean, they'll make stuff up, no doubt. Trust me. Mm-hmm. I, the whole idea of... Uh, of uh, the my pillow guy dating uh, Jane, what's her name uh, uh, in New York was I think way over the top, and I think <laughs> that's that's going to be interesting. So I do I do throw that out there because yeah, I don't think he was dating her, and but but I think the idea is is that some news outlets actually uh, do try to provide a, a kind of a global perspective. I'm not a globalist. Don't don't mm-hmm. take my comments of being globalist. I'm not, but I do believe that uh, what Russia does is important to us. Uh, Vladimir Putin is not our friend. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's a competitor. Uh, China is not our friend. We do have some people who I think would be very friendly to us, the Indians, an emergency, uh, emerging democracy with a, with a lot of the same values we have. We should be working with them much more. England and its work uh, re- regarding the EU, I think we have a great opportunity. As a matter of fact, I was over in England twice uh, with Warwick University talking about what uh, what a defense strategy should be for the British post-Brexit. So these things, I think, are valid, but we tend not to uh, have the American media reporting on it as much. Yeah, I think there's a lot we can learn in these universal issues that we all face. I'm curious, too, you're with the London Center, londoncenter.org. What are those type of issues that you guys track? So, yeah, so the London Center itself is not in England, because I get that question all the time. (laughs) We are based in New York, and it's named for my my, uh, former boss, who passed two years ago, Dr. Herb London. Um, and the center is really focused on essentially three areas of, of study. First, uh, national security. Um, I spent a, a great deal of time uh, with uh, Mike Flynn and Mike Pompeo in the beginning of the Trump administration. Uh, actually, I, I went in to see Mike, uh, Mike Pompeo. I knew Mike when he was Congressman Pompeo, and we worked a little bit on, on his, issues there. And he called me in right after he was confirmed. And I sat down in, at the CIA at the Langley headquarters. And I'm sitting there getting ready to go into my spiel on what I think he ought to do to fix CIA. He says, no, I want to talk about Turkey. What's going on with this NATO or NATO concept you guys are working? It's like, really? So so we work. We work. I don't want to say in, in a boutique way, but it's kind of a boutique way because we try to actually examine national security policy, which are going to have the greatest effect by implementing rather than trying to worry about start two and all these other things and all that. So not to say we won't, won't address it, but I think we try to, to examine how we can be effective. Uh, thought to action. Uh, that's what uh, Herb always pushed. Uh, and that's, you know, that's why I, as a former intelligence operative, uh, run it. I, I don't, I don't do this because I want to make big old long uh, 500 page tomes for people to read. I want to put something together in about two pages, which helps affect uh, the, the, the policy direction of our nation. Mm-hmm. And we also focus on energy. 
do a lot on energy, and we also do a lot on national uh, on uh, individual rights and the and the Bill of Rights. That's great. You're a senior fellow and president of the London Center for Policy Research. If people wanted to read your work, just go to LondonCenter.org. Is that the p- uh, best place to go? Yeah, it is. And also on uh, on uh, YouTube, uh, we have Thought to Action, our podcast, and uh, we actually do a lot uh, regarding a very very interesting discussions and. Um, we, we're very inclusive. We don't consider ourselves all that conservative. We actually try to reach out to everybody who uh, wants to try to work uh, for good policies which protect the nation. So uh, thanks right. for having me on. Right. Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer, uh, now retired, but as a senior fellow and president of the London Center for Policy Research. Thank you again for coming on to Overnight America. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And he joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line. This is Overnight America KMOX. Now back to Overnight America on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com. Overnight America continues. I, let me just say, social media is so stupid. <laughs> but right now, there's, this is what's trending. The term Reagan and Trump. Yes, in Ronald Reagan and Donald Trump, Reagan and Trump. And people are putting them together because they're talking about uh, different presidents and people are mentioning, you know, like Fauci, for example, Dr. Fauci has worked for both of them. You know, just people are going through here and, you know, trying to keep the party. You know, Donald Trump was in the party, Ronald Reagan, you know, the Republican Party, and people are just trashing both of them. And, and that's what social media does. It's kind of ridiculous. And all things considered, I was watching this on CNN, Harry Enton is someone that does polling. He was there when they were talking about the different, you know, on election night. Oh, we got to look at every angle and we need to look at this and what could happen with here and can we get it here and does this happen there? So they both kind of go through and try to get as many numbers as possible. And he is someone that is talking about the popularity still of Donald Trump, even after he's out of office. There was an interview with Brian Kilmeade I heard on our sister station who Here's the Brian Kilmeade radio show. And I brought this up to Rich Rubino yesterday and I said, is Donald Trump going to be like Truman where he leaves office incredibly low approval numbers? And then over a matter of time, you begin to appreciate some of the things that were passed and done during his administration. I at least think for Republicans, they're going to look and say there was a lot of great things that happened in the four years of his presidency. Policy wise, he was right on. And here is uh, Enton. Who brings this up? GOP numbers on impeachment. I guess you can see there's still support for Donald Trump in that sense. So I think this also gives you an idea. I need to bring this up here again. I apologize. All right, here we go. So I think this also gives you an idea that Donald Trump ain't going nowhere. Look at this. Should Donald Trump be convicted? Just 11% of Republicans say yes. Should he be barred from running again? Just 19% of Republicans say yes. This Republican Party is not a Republican Party that wants to move on from Donald Trump. They like Donald Trump. They want him to stay in the limelight. They do not believe his actions on January 6th and leading up to it warrant him being barred from running from office again. You just look at the numbers over and over and over again, and they just give you the very clear sign that Republicans like Donald Trump, even if the overall public doesn't. See, that's the thing. I don't think that those numbers indicate that they want him to run again in the future. I don't think that indicates it at all. I think what it indicates is just how ridiculously crazy things have gotten and how far off the tracks the Democratic Party has turned based on what we're seeing now in the push for impeachment. And great example of that is Rand Paul, who spoke up today 
regarding the impeachment. In fact, I have some audio clips we're going to play after the news at the top of the hour. You, I'm going to play this for you because Rand Paul was right on. These are long clips. They're, you know, two, three minutes at a time. But he has been saying things that I think are very common sense. It's, it, But, of course, he's very Republican. He's always one to stand up for the Constitution and such. And I always, normally when I listen to him, I should say almost always, give him a big thumbs up because I think he's right on on this. And he's willing to say things, even though it may not be popular, but he believes it to be right, which I really respect about Rand Paul. And the thing is, when he was standing up saying these things today in the Senate, it was echoing exactly what I've been saying the last couple of weeks. And I thought, oh, man, I wonder if he listens to the show. So Rand Paul, if you listen to Overnight America, you have to call in sometime. Not that I think you're listening to AM radio in Kentucky or D.C., wherever you may be right now. Just so happened to stumble upon this. Stranger things have happened. It would be the night we talk about Bigfoot would be also the night that Rand Paul just randomly is scanning through the radio dial and happens to listen to the show. But I say that mostly tongue in cheek, but we've been saying the same things. What he brought up today on the Senate floor is exactly what I've been saying on the show. So we're going to play some of that in the next hour. Here's some more polling numbers uh, from Donald Trump. This was on CNN. Just look at the primary polls. Look, we're still three years out from the primaries, right? But at this point, Donald Trump is in first place among Republican primary voters. And you look back over the last few times that someone lost the presidential race, a president lost the presidential race. Look at this. There's no other example of a president who was actually leading the primary field. George H.W. Bush was in fourth place at this point for the 96 race. Jimmy Carter was in third place at this point for the 1984 race. Gerald Ford was in second place at this point for the 1980 race. So Donald Trump has a stronger grip on the Republican Party than any past president after they lost their presidential election. I think that just gives you an indication of how unique and how different Donald Trump is with the Republicans this time around than past presidents were with the party base prior times around. Yeah, and what do you expect to it? You get 70 plus million people voting for you. What do you expect? <laughs> what do you think was going to happen? And yes, he's still going to be popular, even online. One way we can look at this is look at Google searches, right? This is just the first indication, but I think it gives you an idea that at this point, the relative share of Google searches, January 20th to 25th of an inauguration year, Donald Trump is still 48% of the searches among those who are searching for either Biden or Trump. That is huge. Old presidents, past presidents, when we had turned the page with a new inauguration, look at that. Obama was just 18% of the relative searches in 2017. George W. Bush was just 8% of the relative searches back in 2009. So what we see right now is that Donald Trump is still on the minds of Americans. Is that true? So I think a little bit of time, once it separates, people will go back and look and maybe find ways to appreciate some of those things. I think a lot of ways, uh, just people don't like the way things ended. They don't like the way he was treated. Uh, I think that the sake of his age and other things, I think if you're Donald Trump, you have to step aside. I don't think you want to try to re-inject yourself because ultimately what's going to happen is going to be Kamala Harris starting her second term after she takes over for Joe Biden somewhere in the first four years here. I think that's what you'll see. You don't want to split the party like a Ross Perot did. I know he's very popular, and I don't know if strong arming the Republican Party in order to force yourself as the candidate, as a threat to be a third party, is the way to do it. I also think that he's up there. You know, I look at Joe Biden. No one's looking at him and saying he's the sharpest he's ever been. Uh, Donald Trump's going to be the age of Joe Biden if he runs again in a couple of years, three, four years, where he's going to be up there. And I'm thinking this is this is the time that. Maybe you consider um, supporting the party and the candidates and trying to get 
some of the different initiatives that you tried to push through, the pro-economy initiatives, finding people that align with you and then standing with them and then making it just so important that we got to get the country back on course. Maybe try to get that message out there as opposed to being the person delivering that. Then again, does he really want to do that again? Does he want to go through this? Um, anyone that runs for politics anymore and anyone that runs for president, I have to truly wonder why, because it is such a thing. It just beats you down over and over and over again, right across the head. And there's a lot of other Republicans younger that I think would fill, fit the bill that would be in line. Ted Cruz and Rand Paul and Marco Rubio, even for that case, all three very young, I think under 50, I think they're in their 40s. And that, I would see that as a pretty strong case of some people that have made a name for themselves. And none of which I think people uh, like if social media hates Rand Paul and Ted Cruz, then there's something good going on with them. That's the way to do it. I don't really take the trending on Twitter as a barometer of good or bad. And that's the worst way to take it. But them standing up for things, which they have, is always good. And who knows what happens to Josh Hawley in the next couple of years? You never know. There could be any of these things happening here. Um, and even during the impeachment, I'm going to play for you Rand Paul's clips after the after the news here at 11 o'clock. It's just too good to uh, to pass up. We'll save those for after. I saw this on Fox, too. Let me do this real quick before we, we go to break. And I just love this. And I love this thought that there were things that, if you lived in St. Louis in the 80s, will just immediately bring back memories. And Fox 2 did this story, 10 things kids grew up in St. Louis in the 80s will remember. They call it news, but it's really not news. Maybe this is more or less an opportunity for you to let your brain take a vacation for a few minutes. Here's the things that they came up in their list. Okay, if you grew up in the 80s, the floating McDonald's. Oh, I think we did a full hour on the floating McDonald's one time on the show. It was a great hour. I loved it. I wish this thing was still around. Honestly, if the Floaty McDonald's was still here, I would be taking my son there every other week. He would love to go to that. I mean, just absolutely love it, love it, love it. Grandpa's Pigeons, founded in 1954. They had what they said, steep discounts on products. Stores were a fixture in St. Louis for decades. Grandpa's, hmm, that looks awesome. The Magic House, when it was only one house. <laughs> that does sound awesome before they expanded. Saturday morning cartoons on KPLR 11. Oh, watching the cartoons is a rite of passage for so many kids. That's something my son will never understand. He's spoiled. You can get things at your fingertips. You press a button and anything you want is there for you to enjoy. You had to wait until Saturday morning. You get your sugar bowl of cereal. You got up. You don't have to worry about school. I, this is what I would do when I was growing up on Saturday mornings. I would wake up, I'd watch cartoons, and then I would watch WWF wrestling. And that, they always had that Saturday morning show or whatever. I, I don't know when they stopped doing that. Man, was those, those were the days. And there were no expectation for you to do anything when you're that young. It was great. Union Station singing fudge workers. I don't know anything about that. There was a fudgery in Union Station. So I guess if you're an 80s kid, you remember also the Crestwood Court Mall popular hangout for many teens in the 80s and 90s the mall closed in 2013 now demolished long before i got here so didn't get to enjoy that one shopping adventure 80s kids they say will no doubt forget the uh, aisles with their parents walking up and down back to school shopping things to me uh is venture like a kmart uh they had a pretty large footprint apparently in the midwest closed in 1998 uh, cruising Lindbergh, another thing, rolling up and down Lindbergh. 
people i'm guessing still do that every once in a while just for the old sake of it it's nice to go out and cruise how about db's delight quiz show on kmox tv which now kmov 30 minute quiz show on saturdays and sundays ran from 77 to 88 was there a puppet involved oh this looks great the arena st louis of course so many great games uh in concerts that happened at the arena also known as the checker dome came down in 99 Many great people have memories of that. I love hearing about uh, everything else. Those are the 10 memories people may have if you're an 80s kid or at least around in the 80s in St. Louis. If there's any of them that you want to add to it, I'd be more than happy to hear them. These these are the type of things I like to hear, these type of stories. 314-436-7900 or 800-925-1120. We have one more live hour of Overnight America going live up until 1 o'clock tonight. And if you want to text in, you can do that too. I always like to see and read those. Find me on Facebook, Ryan Recker Radio. It's Overnight America, KMOX. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places.